podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro. I'm Trev Downey. I am podcasting to you from my lovely sunny rural field here in beautiful Ireland. I fucked that up, didn't I? And I'm joined for today's Raw by Harry Sethi and by Dave Hendrick to look back over Liverpool's very comfortable 3-0 home win over Aston Villa, a result that I don't think Manny would have expected, especially given the changes uh, enforced on the Liverpool lineup before the game began. So let's go into it as we usually do and get immediate reactions from both of my guests. Dave, I mean, like I say, comfortable in a way that isn't in any way exaggerated language. And I think I saw something from yourself tweet wise about uh, to the effect that we control the game quite well. And given the defensive situation, given the clear absence of a of a of a recognised defensive midfielder, I think you know the the manager, the coaches, especially the players on the field today, have to take a certain amount of credit for limiting Aston Villa in terms of their chances, in terms of their ability to use their pace, and to have and and, and to show that determination that we showed when we went to ten men to maintain the possession of the ball well. Yeah, I think huge credit goes to, to all involved today. This is a good Aston Villa team. Like I know they got walloped on the opening day of the season by, by the turn. That was a freak result where things went against them when they had an early injury and a player was thrown onto a situation where he wasn't actually ready to come on in the game. He hadn't warmed up or anything. And they just sort of snowballed it and it fell apart for them. But in their last four games, they've scored 15 goals. Now, admittedly, it was Everton, Burnley in two games against Hibs, but they have showed real attacking promise this season. Ollie Watkins has looked good. Diaby has taken to life in the Premier League very well and looks like a real prospect. They've got the two boys in central midfield who are outstanding. This is a good Villa team with a good manager. And what we did today was we limited them to moments. Like They had their moments in the game. There's the McGinn chance, there's the Matty Cash chance and the different things. But that's all they had was moments. There was no spell of the game where you thought, oh, they're getting on top here. And normally, when you're playing any good Premier League side, they'll have 15 to 20 minutes where they are the better team. And that didn't happen today because we were very progressive. We were very aggressive. We were front-footed. And we were pressing them not just relentlessly, but very cleverly. We were letting them play the ball with players that we know aren't going to hurt us. And then we were targeting those who are a little bit better on the ball and forcing them into uncomfortable situations. And we really did limit them. Like, 
there's not a whole lot of moments in the game where you think, oh, that was sketchy for us, or it, it, it was one-way traffic for the most part. And to be quite frank, 3-0 flatters them a little bit because we missed a couple of really good chances in that game. And I, I think a couple of players to highlight just straight off the bat, Joe Gomez. I mean, this guy has been much maligned over the last couple of years through no fault of his own, because people have underestimated how horrific that injury he had was. Simon Brundish, who's like a professional in the field, said that's the worst injury a player can get. Because And when he, him and Marty talked about it on a fatigue index, Marty described the surgery, which was described to him by a surgeon who's performed the surgery a bunch of times, as being like trying to, to stitch two horse tails together. And he said that the biggest issue with that surgery is until the very late stages of the recovery, you don't really know if it's been done right or not. You don't know if it's been stitched too tight, too loose, whatever. And it takes a long time. The lads were very clear to point that out. It takes a long time to get back to the previous level. And one slip in the first half aside, I thought Joe Gomez was absolutely fantastic today. I thought Alexis was really good in midfield. I thought Curtis in his first start of the season, very, very good. Darwin up front, didn't score, but he's responsible for two of our goals and he's involved in winning the corner for the first goal and he hit the crossbar. But the two that stood out to me, Trent, easily his best performance of the season, easily, and Dominic. And I said it on Twitter today, this kid is an Allison Virgil Salah level signing. This is a transformational talent. He's incredible on the ball. He is ridiculously good off the ball. He's an absolute machine. Like it's the 93rd minute and he's still sprinting to close people down. We're three nil up. He's got the mentality. He's got absolutely everything you'd want. And I think that 60 million we paid from is going to look like an absolute steal. We're looking forward to watching that um, playing out and uh, ample evidence to back your words there. And Harry, to get your initial response, I mean, again, just to perhaps lean into the uh, the, the surprising aspect of today, um, nobody would have expected, even if you were optimistic about the Reds getting a win, um, nobody would have expected the nature of it. Uh, Dave's alluded to um, some specific aspects of that performance and some of the players responsible for it. I did initially in, in, in my intro as well. It was a shock uh, to see the calmness of it. And, and to, you know what was lovely, Harry, to be able to experience that calmness yeah. as a fan watching the game, a, a, a real delight for us and a rarity lately. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's been a while, even since we've um, obviously sort of like, like played with these new formations over the past, however many months and towards the end of last season, uh, you never really felt that we had necessarily had control of games. Yes. We might deflate teams by getting ahead and then, you know, they give up a little bit, but in terms of actually controlling the game, uh, dealing with what a team has to, uh, has to offer and being composed, being assured on the ball, I thought, um, we'll probably come on to talk about it, but I think you, you can see already with these midfielders that we've got now, their, their ability to retain the ball 
under pressure um, and play the right pass at the right moment as well. I mean, these are really technically gifted midfielders that we've got in there now. Um, obviously speaking about Soboslai as well. Uh, but the, you know, plenty of moments today where you think, oh, maybe he could go, he could have gone for the audacious. Maybe he will in a few months. But he, yeah, he, he played more of a calm pass, more of a composed um, option, if you will. Same with McAllister. I thought he was um, excellent today as well. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, I thought today could actually have been a fairly tricky fixture, to be honest. I mean, even doing sort of the rival recon ahead of the, ahead of the game. But then thinking back to uh, Villa's appearance at Anfield last season as well, I mean, that they came with a really clear plan of how to target Trent and in the way in which we were inverting him in that game anyway. I remember Watkins and uh, McGill, I think it was on the day, maybe Buendia as well. Um, and Ramsey, if, if memory serves, did a number on us. I thought it was a really good example of, uh, you know, Emery coming to, to Anfield, you clearly seen what we were trying to do and sort of neutralized us for large patches in that game. So I was a bit surprised really by the way in which they turned up. And yeah, an early goal three minutes in always changes things dramatically, doesn't it? In terms of actually sort of the impact you can have and, uh, yeah, like how momentum is going to sort of shift in a game like that. But yeah, really, really, really encouraging, I thought. And, uh, a, um, yeah, just like 30 odd more of those, please. I think in terms of sort of, uh, how calm and composed it was, but Sobersly, yeah, I think that could well be a sliding doors moment for us. If you think about the pursuit or the interest in Mount, uh, sort of the suggestions around that, and the fact that we've ended up with this guy, uh, who I think I saw someone say earlier on, and I, I couldn't disagree to be honest. I feel like he could probably, I mean, yes, he's got plenty of games to to play to prove his his value, but it feels as though he could probably have slotted himself into any version of. Klopp's midfield uh, since he's since he's been here. Yeah, I think that's quite the quite the testament um, to be able to say that um, on, on such a small sample size in a red shirt. Um, there's something very exciting about this fella and his potential. And I, I think we should say, lads, before we get started on looking at the the teams and, and the way we set up, and obviously I want to give you both a chance to talk about Aston Villa with your preparation work that both of you did with the shows in advance. Uh, we'll focus briefly on the Reds in a second. But before we do, we should actually credit where it's due. In a week where we fully expected more PGMOL fuckery to um, be part of today's experience, um, Simon Hooper was completely anonymous, which is the sign of a yeah. referee who has actually done a good job and given fouls where fouls are supposed to be given and not made flagrantly, blatantly awful decisions on a regular basis. So when a referee disappears into the background in the way that Hooper is to, to, did today, I think credit needs to be given for that. Um, yeah, one yellow card is all he handed out. Yeah. Kept you know, himself to himself, just went about his job, did his job. No controversies. The his his officials got their calls right as well. The VAR checks were very very quick. There was no fuckery at all from the officials today. So I do think massive credit goes to them. Are you that person who has everything, the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, 
you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. And it's a shame that we have to point that out in a positive way. And, the, you know, it, 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 you know um, man does job, shocker. Um, but at the same time, in the wake of the constant griping that we've had to do because of the rawfulness, I just thought it was important to say that at the start. And, and Harry, if, if I just go back to you really quickly for the Reds lineup, um, and I'll give Dave a chance to come in as well. I, I think there's an element of, of, of bravery about the, the, the lineup. And I, I, the reason I use that word is I could possibly have used stubbornness, but the reason I use that word is that, you know, the, the lack of a, a an out and out defensive midfield specialist there, the improvised ish pairing of Matip and Gomez, sure, at their best, both of them have been fantastic for us. But we are in a situation where that is clearly not the case, given the the the, the recent context for both men, um, and the the opportunity uh, to play Darwin Nunes on the back of his Newcastle performance. I don't know if that is the most obvious no-brainer decision in managerial history, but it wouldn't have surprised you if Kloppo had said you're back in the bench, lad. It would have been it would have struck us as a bit daft, but you know he does what he's going to do, and he has very clear ideas. So I was delighted to see that. I thought the the defense picked itself because of of of, of the availability, but I was surprised not to see Endo start. Give me your take yeah. on 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 the lineup and um, what you think the thinking was around it. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the defensive options are what they are you know, based upon sort of availability. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that was definitely a little bit of a cause for anxiety um, ahead of the game, given yeah some of the disruption we've seen back there, given some of the performances we'd seen uh, Matip put in, uh, certainly during preseason, um, if not towards the end of last season. Um, midfield, yeah, a little bit surprised not to see Endo come in for, for a game like this. He obviously needs to get minutes, you'd imagine, to get up to speed and understand the way in which we're going to play. Having said that, again, the last time we signed a, a defensive midfielder, he was rarely seen for a while. So, um, yeah, let's see, let's see sort of how he's integrated into the side. But Jones, I think we saw towards the end of last season, yeah, he had a quite a long stretch of, of really positive performances where, yeah, case in point we were talking about earlier on, retention of the ball, something that we can see Sobberschlei is really good at, McCass is very good at, Jones was really, uh, excelling in, um, in that aspect of his game, uh, the latter part of last season. So, yeah, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's a, he should be a reliable customer to come into this and somebody who you imagine understands what the boss wants from him. Um, having said that, you know, you look at the opposition, you know, I was expecting a trickier, more intense game as well. Dave's already mentioned the, the pair they have in midfield are, you know, very talented, can be very combative. So I was a little bit apprehensive about that. And the Nunez, I, I was, I was very, I'm not sort of positively, uh, surprised by that, to be honest, Trev. I mean, yeah, he scores those two goals in, in, in the fashion of which he does, but it seemed to me anyway that the, the feeling you've, you, you've gotten is that the coaching staff don't really think the team is defensively secure enough at times to sort of allow Nunez to start from the, from the off. Cause yeah, he's, he's maybe not the best link player in the world. He's, he's when it comes to ball retention, I, I know he's not the best in the world. His, his job is being the battering ram and being the chaos agent as we've, as we've spoken about in the past, but 
yeah, you, you you felt after getting those two goals and the nature of the of that cameo, uh, you, you really want to build that confidence in him. Uh, and despite the way in which today went on a couple of occasions, that I think he could have had more more than he ends up leaving the pitch with. Um, I think it's another you know it'll be another performance that really builds that confidence. And uh, you know, he'll feel rewarded for the fact that you know he got those two goals in the last game. He started today; he's had a, a real impact in us winning the winning the game. So. Yeah, I thought it was a it was, it was a positive selection from Klopp. It looked quite attacking when you looked at it on paper, um, but I mean maybe with hindsight now. But the way in which it plays out, it looks as though yeah he's he's picked the right players and they've they've performed or they've uh, they've rewarded his trust in them. I've decided, Harry, in the paradigm in which I want to exist, uh, yeah. that um, that Darwin left the field today with a goal and an assist. That's what I've decided. Didn't they rewarded uh, him at all? <laughs> it, was, it was announced as a goal in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just take it. Uh, Dave, if you look at the bench today, um, Cuevin Keller's on there, Endo, Gakpo, Elliot, Jota, Bendok, Simicus, Bacetic and Kwanza. Um, a lot of exciting young talent with uh, some with more first team experience than others, to say the least. Not exactly a, 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 a terrifying bench. Yeah. And the reason I'm asking you to have a look at that is, do you think there's anything that could or should have been done differently? Were you surprised also by Endo's lack of inclusion? Pleasantly surprised by the decision to start Curtis, because obviously he's only just come back into training in the last week. But I can understand the decision because he offers more of a dynamic presence. He's quicker across the ground and obviously he's a bit more comfortable in possession. I thought today he was just very quietly good. He didn't do anything spectacular. He just kept things moving. But off the ball, I thought he was really, really good. I think his pressing has always been something that Klopp likes about him, his willingness to press as well. So I could see the the logic behind bringing Curtis in um, and having Curtis and Dominic as those two more physical pillars with uh, Alexis kind of able to float in behind them. And it, it limited the amount of runners that were getting through to Alexis, which was something that was important. Uh, you look at the bench, actually, and it's not the strongest bench in the world, but there are players for sort of every everything you need there. Like, you've got Keller as your backup goalkeeper. If a defender gets hurt, you've got Costas, you've got Quanza. Now, ideally, obviously, you'd want a more experienced player than Quanza, but the kid looks completely unfazed. Like, he comes on for his home debut in the Premier League, and he looks like this is just normal for him. Like, I'm just going out for a kickabout with me mates, man. I'll be back in in an hour. This strolls on, looks perfectly at home. Everything seems very easy for him. It was the same at Toon. Coming on at Newcastle for your Premier League debut is probably one of the harder places to go, especially given the game state that he came on into. And he's just completely unfazed by it. This kid seems to have an unbelievably good mindset, which is hugely promising because we can see that the talent is there, the physicality, the profile is there. And if his mindset is as nailed on as it looks to be, he could be a player for us for the long haul, even if it's just as a third or fourth centre-back, he could be someone that's very valuable to us. Mm. You've got Endo to see out games. You've got Besetic to see out games. Or if you wanted to change things up a little bit, you've got him there. And then you've got game breakers. Like you've got Harvey, you've got Jota, you've got Cody, and you've got Ben Doak. So even though individually it's probably not the strongest bench in the world, 
it it did sort of fit every need. It, whatever popped up today, you felt like we had a an answer on the bench. If Trent obviously Trent did get hurt, so you just slide Joe across, bring on Kwanzaa. Everything else in defence is covered. Midfield is covered and the attack is covered. So I was actually very, very happy when I saw the bench. I was really happy when I saw the the team. But I just want to go back to something you said earlier, Trev. And this is something that people have forgotten. In the 18-19 season, we won the European Cup and Joel Matip was excellent that year. In the 19-20 season, we won the Premier League title and Joe Gomez was excellent that year. So these guys have performed at elite levels for us. These guys have been in conversations as, you know, they're in the top six or seven defender, the central defenders in the Premier League at different points. You don't just go from that to garbage. There's, there's going to be circumstances around it. One of the issues with Matip was he got overplayed in the 21-22 season because Kanate had some injuries and then he tailed off and then he wasn't getting enough games because Kanate was playing so well. And Joel is a player that needs rhythm. So last week he looked a little bit shaky against the tune, but today, with a bit of rhythm to his game, looked much more comfortable. And Joe Gomez is kind of the same. Like, they're not players that deal well with being out and just getting chucked in for a game and then coming back out and getting chucked back in again. And that's kind of, Dave, why I said uh, last night on Twitter that I'm just, I, I think we've got no choice but to be all in and very high on Andy Robbo and hope that he does what he's doing. I know you thought I was drunk at the time, but I genuinely mean, I genuinely mean it. We, we, like, I'm not saying that he's going to be, but I think we really need him to be absolutely brilliant. And for the very same reason you just stated, he has it in him. Of course we, he does. Of course you know, he does. And, and, and if he was to produce that season that we, we that I think the I season think, he's had in the past, like, let's be honest, change. Andy Robertson for three or four years, was comfortably the best left back in England, and that would change every that would change everything. For it us would hugely. It really it just changes. Robbo suffers from the same thing as Matip. Now Robbo's a bit more durable than Matip, but both of them got overplayed, and Robbo got overplayed for a long time, like from when Robbo broke into the team, replacing um, Albi Moreno halfway through the seventeen eighteen season. Robbo has just played relentless amounts of football and it's not just for for Liverpool you know you look at the the numbers he breaks into the team he ends up playing 30 games that year then it's 48 49 50 47 and 43 and the thing with Andy Robertson is it's not like it's an easy game for him like he's not just going out and strolling about no he's playing the shit out of every game he's literally balls to the wall for 90 minutes Everything is at high intensity, high speed. That's his game. But consider all of those games for Liverpool. 270 games now for the Reds. Actually, 271 after today. He's also played like over 50 times for his national team in that time. So you're talking about a guy who's played 300 games in a little more than six seasons. That's an average of 50 over 50 games basically every single season. 54 games a season on average for, for 53 games a season on average or whatever, whatever the fucking number is. I think it's 53 on average for the, for the last six years. That's a lot of football to play while you're sprinting endlessly. 
So Robbo's just had a physical decline. That's all it is. It's a physical decline with him. And if we can get into a rhythm now where he plays the league and Costas plays the Europa and Robbo plays the league and Costas plays the League Cup and Robbo plays the league and Costas plays the FA Cup, it is possible that arrested Andy Robertson playing no more than 35 games, because you'd throw costs a few league games as well, that he gives you 30 really, really good performances. He was really good today, Andy Robertson. He had one or two moments in the first half where, where Bailey got at him. But once he settled in, I thought he was really, really good. So, you know, it is possible that we can manage Andy Robertson to a very good season. It absolutely is. He didn't just become shit. Like, that didn't happen with him. So I have no doubts with Andy Robertson that we, we can we can definitely work a good season out of him. We can work a good season out of Matip and Gomez by keeping them in rhythm, by playing them in the Europa League. And they should be the Europa League pairing. Virgil and Ibu shouldn't kick a ball in that competition until we get to the late stages. Matip and Gomez with Kwanzaa as the third. And that's that for the Europa League. And if we do that, then that defence will start to look a lot more solid. Now, we'll still have some issues here and there. Of course we will. Always going to happen when you don't have a specialist ball winner holding midfielder or whatever in there. But there's a lot of reasons to be to be hopeful about what this season can, can be. I, I don't think we can win the league. I think that City team are just a little bit too far off in the distance for us. But but second isn't out of the realms of possibility. Now it could be second, fifteen points off top. But second is second. The Europa League is absolutely there to absolutely there to win, and so are the domestic cups. Absolutely, but if we do maintain the sort of current rate of going, City will have an early season slump by slump. Yeah. I mean, they'll probably draw two well, games. Look what it Arsenal could be did last year. Yeah, look what Arsenal did last year. They took fifty points from the first nineteen games that Arsenal team. Who? I don't believe are better than this group of lads that we have. I don't believe that Arsenal team is better than this Liverpool team. Certainly the manager is not better. So if we manage ourselves and can play our best 11 through the league and then rotate for the Europa and keep everybody as fit as possible, I I think we can have a really good... I don't know if we get 50. We might get 46, 47 points for the first half season. But we can do it. We have the players. We know we have the manager. This guy knows how to get 90 points. But I have no doubt, as long as we don't overplay the likes of Robbo, who, I mean, look, we all like Costas, but we all know Costas isn't good enough to be the starter for Liverpool. Everybody is aware of that. As good as he is, he's a decent squad player, but nothing more than that. As long as we're careful with some of these lads and we continue to have you know, the right decisions being made in terms of who plays, which Jürgen made the right decisions today. Uh, Curtis was the right call and, and Darwin was absolutely the right call. As long as we continue to get that right and we've got Virgil and Ibu to come back into this and we've got, you know, we'll see what happens with Gravenberch, whether he can step up and play a big part and potentially make himself a league calibre starter or whether he's just a key contributor in the Europa League for this season and then maybe next season he makes another leap. But there is a lot of reason to be to be confident with this team. Like they they didn't just forget how to be good. Last season was an aberration. 
I know it's two bad seasons out of three, but it, it, if someone said to you right now, Liverpool will, will get third in the league and then whatever happens in the cup, I think we'd all take it. Because none of us are deluded enough to think we're going to go and win the league. But, you know, if, if City do have a big wobble, if, if they have, a, if Haaland got injured, for example, you never know. You just yeah. put yourself in the position yeah. to take advantage of it. Like you say, squad management, then we could be there. And, and, and Harry, to get straight to the Aston Villa team, the manager of that particular squad has had a very positive impact on the club. Um, they had a horrendous beginning to the campaign alluded to by Dave earlier on against Newcastle, but have looked far better since and have looked generally very good under the manager. Um, I note that that your contributors seem to be quite high on him as a, as an influence. Um, and, and I think that's understandable. He's genuinely very good at what he does. Um, and he can win trophies as well, which is a very interesting um, aspect of his of his ability. Um, they start the day with Martinez, who I'm kind of almost always impressed by. Uh, Consa, Carlos, Pau Torres, who had a shaky start, uh, and Cash, uh, Kamara, uh, Douglas Louise, uh, Luca Dean. Uh, they had Diaby and McGinn and Ollie Watkins. Their bench has Olsen, Tielemans, Chambers, Langley, Zaniolo, Duran, Den Donker, Bailey and Kellyman. That's a very, very, very solid looking squad with a lot of options, Harry. Was that as you had and your, your guest had predicted they would go today or is there any surprises there at the last minute? No, I don't think there's many surprises. I mean, they're, they are missing. Uh, obviously a couple of key players that you, you'd think would always be sort of in and around the first team. Obviously Mings had that, had that injury in the opening game of the, of the season. It looks like he's going to be out for the entirety of the season. Um, I've often, I've often been a bit sort of dubious about Mings's quality, to be honest. So, um, whether or not it's a positive over the entire season remains to be seen, but he's, he's a figure in that team, right? He's, 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 he's clearly sort of a big figure in that, in the squad. Uh, Ramsey, who were all sort of on as well as a really promising young talent. Uh, he's, uh, he's somebody that you imagine would be in and around the first team as well as Wendy, um, you know, when he's, when he's fit and firing. Of course, this, this unit that they've stuck, that they've got right now is a, is a, is a combative one, but there are some players here. And I think actually also my guest mentioned, uh, Moreno's absence as well, and a few concerns about them playing playing a high line uh, or a relatively high line with with the centre backs that they had available. Uh, to be honest, and then of course, I think pretty early on, obviously we see Carlos has to go off as well. Um, so Consta, very solid customer. I think he's a really like uh, tidy defender. Pau Torres, like usually good on the ball, but I think there's going to be a number of different things he has to adjust to. Uh, in the in the Premier League, in terms of the physicality of it, uh, and the amount of time he's going to have on the on the ball, but now we've seen Cash have a really positive start to the season um, in the sort of the, the new position position that he's found himself in, much more advanced. Scored a couple of goals in the last game, um, had a good chance that actually with the header actually was a good good save from 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 Ali. I'm sure come on to talk about Kamara Louise is very solid. Uh, Look at I mean. Yeah, there's something of the the permanence of Everton about him. I have to I do have to say, despite his, he's obviously got some quality there as well. Uh, and Diaby is the one who's caught my eye really. I think as the new one of their new arrivals. I think it's a real coup for them to have to to have got him. To be honest, I think he's a real talented player. You could see on a number of occasions today, despite the fact that they were you know, largely dominated 
this guy's capable of driving away from us, um, you know, real sort of strong runs, powerful runs, and um, quite a few intelligent late runs as well, where he wasn't wasn't picked out, I thought, as well. So he's he's going to be really valuable for them this season. But you look at the squad, and they've invested well. Uh, probably Longley is the only one who's, I guess, a bit of a temporary sign that they've made because of the Ming's injury. But uh, the rest of the signings that have come in, all sensible business. Uh, you know, I think they're, they're going to try and solidify themselves as a as a upper mid table club this season. I imagine they're in Europe again for the first time in a long a long while, so I'm sure they'll enjoy that as well. And yeah, we know we know about this manager Trev. He's, he's somebody who, you know, for all his detractors, you know, clearly does his homework, spends hours researching the way in which the opponents plays and tries to figure out ways in which he can really uh, usually uh, cause problems to the to their system so yeah to to get past the day without actually having like any of that sort of trouble that you typically associate with a with an emery team um especially you know emery teams we've encountered in the past i'm delighted um but yeah largely the team i expected given the injuries and the absences and yeah i think they're going to be solid customers this season i imagine one of the highlights um, for me of the game was the cop at the very end there singing blue and white shite at Luca Dean. That's you gotta enjoy that. Uh, just 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 uh, follow along from your your thought there. And oh. and Dave the 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 Aston Villa squad uh, management and the, the the level of talent in it. I I have a question for you. You go wherever you want after it, but. The question that occurred to me as I was listening to Harry talking through it there is, do you think their involvement now in this um, Europa Conference League will be the thing that keeps them absolutely away from being top four contenders? Did you think they had a chance of being top four contenders anyway, given the standard of squad uh, who are challenging for that? Um, And is it realistic to say that if he gets his act together, he could have yet another European pot in his uh, cupboard and probably top six? Uh, just before I go to that, I'm just uh, thinking about Harry's comment about Unai Emery's detractors, and I'm yeah. just texting Carl Matchett to let him know that he's been called <laughs> out on this podcast. Um, also, just 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 quickly, we're all aware, right, that Paco uh, Paco Yesteran is the assistant coach. He's the manager, yeah. Yeah, he's a, that's, a, that's a nice little blast from the past. I like yeah. Paco. He's a, he's a good man. Um, in terms of the Europa Conference League, I definitely think Villa can win it. I, I think Villa are probably the fr- the favourites to win it. There's only really Feyenoord. That's probably it that I'd look at and think, you know, maybe they could beat Villa. But I do think Villa can, and not should, because you can never say should when it, it comes to a, a major competition. But I do think Villa can win that competition. And as I've said before, I'm... A, I've always had a soft spot for Villa. I think a lot of Irish people do because of McGrath and Houghton and Staunton and, and different things. So I've always had a bit of a soft spot for them. And they're, they're a huge club. So it would be great to see them lift European silverware, even if it is a competition that right now doesn't have the respect. In 25 years, it will have a lot more respect. And when people look back, they will, you know, nostalgia merchants like myself, they, they'll get a lot more credit for winning this competition. Like West Ham, it was kind of overlooked. But I think in, in 20 years, people will go, geez, West Ham won a European trophy. Isn't that amazing? That shows how strong the Premier League was at that time. Um, the thing with the top four this year, Trev, is like, City will be top four every, 
everyone knows that is it would be it will be a, a shock if City don't win the league. After that, though, like you can look at a bunch of teams: ourselves, United, Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, obviously, and you can make good to great cases for each of them. But you can also make a pretty strong case against any of them. Like Arsenal probably are the the other team who are not nailed on, but very, very likely to get top four. It would be a big surprise if they didn't. But Arsenal haven't looked good at all this season. Now, my assumption is they figure things out and they've got enough talent that they'll they'll get top four. My assumption is that we'll get top four. But the fourth spot then, like United look awful, Chelsea look awful. Spurs, it's Postacoglu's first year. They're Spurs, and there'll always be certain things where they just do Spursy things. But there might have been an opening for Villa to sneak in under under uh, Unai Emery last season for I think it was twenty five games that he was in charge. They were they were a top four caliber team in terms of points gained. Now they were overperforming by you know all the underlying metrics, but at the same time. The underlying metrics don't decide who win the league. The, the points on the board decides who win, wins the league and where you finish. And Emery has always been one whose teams outperform their underlying metrics. So I, there was definitely a possibility. I, I think it was a long shot, and I do think that their involvement in Europe will will take them out of that mix. But look, if if I think if you offered Villa fans the 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 choice of look, you can get fourth, or you can win a major. Well, it, it is a major. You you can win a major European trophy. Which would you take? I think they take the trophy because it's been a long time since Villa won anything. A long, long time, far too long for that club. And like they've been through the shit in recent years. They were relegated. They spent years wasting away in the Championship. I think Villa fans would take the trophy right now if you said to them, look, you can either finish eighth and win this competition or you can get fourth and win nothing. I think they'd take winning the competition and finishing eighth. So, um, as far as their team goes to let you, let you get the game back on track, the one big positive for me was that we knew Jacob Ramsey was going to be missing and he has caused us so many problems. Mm. And last season when they came to Anfield, he was brilliant. He scored the goal, but more importantly than that, he took Trent completely out of the game. Like we'd been doing the, the Trent inverting into midfield thing, and it had been working well, because most teams were just letting Trent drift into midfield, and their winger was holding the width. Ramsey followed Trent in and harassed him and kicked him and dragged out of him and slowed him down, and then ran off the back of him in kind of in the half half space into the channel. Not having him was a huge blow for them today. John McGinn, I know people. some people have a soft spot for him. I, I don't rate him personally. He's a, a solid citizen, but he's not one you're ever going to worry about when you're playing against him. But Ramsey does worry me whenever we play Villa. So them not having him was great news. Yeah, agreed. And let's have a look, you and I, at the first 20-odd minutes, which includes, obviously, an early goal, which we'll dwell on, no doubt. It does come after three minutes. 
it is Dominic Sabozlai. It's a glorious half volley style thing on uh, on his left foot, uh, which drops to him from a corner. A corner won, I think, by Darwin Nunes harassing Pau Torres. Um, we saw some great defensive cover by Sabozlai on, on the 10-minute mark to deal with a dangerous cross from them. And Villa had a certain something to them for the second five minutes of the first 10 minutes but that was about it then Robbo I thought looked solid in a couple of 1v1s in that period of the game it was a lovely trend ping to Luis Diaz on the 15 minute mark which led to a corner nothing accrued from it and then they had the unfortunate situation of their uh, centre-half Carlos having to go off uh, and I think Bailey comes on at that point um I'm sure you'll have something that you want to pick out that you noticed in terms of the pattern of play for either team at that stage. And do give us your take on Dom Sabozlai's goal. I spoke to Harry about it before the mics went live and I've only seen a couple of angles. And to me, it looked very much like he was hitting the ball on the rise, almost dropkick style uh, with that finish. But Harry reckons and Guy was backing him up that actually, if you see certain uh, replays, I had very limited choice. Um He's kicked the ball into the ground from which it takes its rise into the back and that you can walk us through it. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, so let's start with the goal then because it's obviously the most exciting thing that, that's happened. Um, Mo does really well in the first instance to to rob the ball off Pau Torres and then it's a, kind of Darwin closes in and Torres has to give the give the corner away. And it's a, it's a good corner that somehow just misses everybody. And Dominic comes on to it. And like that's a difficult skill because he's moving from a central area to his left onto his weaker foot. And he he does hit it down. He he hits it down into the ground and it just as it as it starts to rise again, it just picks up speed and it flies in. Like that ball is is moving really, really fast as it, it hits the net. It's a tremendous strike. Like it is absolutely tremendous. And the thing with this kid is like the technique, it's flawless technique. You watch him strike a ball and it is picture perfect every single time. And it's so consistent as well. He is just an absolute joy to behold. And like you can tell he grew up with his dad working with him daily as well as whatever he was doing on the side with, with, with his club. His dad working with him, training him, preparing him to be a professional from a very young age, he just has this amazing technical ability that you just rarely see. It's such a special trait. And I think we've all kind of come to realize that had we not signed him, 
he's almost certainly a Man City player now because the second KDB got hurt, they'd have been throwing money at Leverkusen to get this lad in because that's that's who he can be. That is the ceiling for him. Um, other than that, in the first 20, yeah, Robbo early on, Leipzig, yes, sorry, Leipzig, not Leverkusen. Other than that, in the first 20, what stood out to me was that we looked fairly solid defensively. We looked like we had a, a decent enough shape to us. Robbo, as you said, did well in a couple of 1v1s. Um, Maddie Cash is, is, is a good player, but if, if you're trying to build through him, and this is where they, they lacked Ramsey as well. If you've got the option of building through Maddie Cash or building through John McGinn, you're going to be a little bit more predictable. And we were able to sort of nullify Diaby in the early phases. He came into it a little bit once they changed it up and brought Bailey on. But I thought from the off, Joe Gomez, I knew he was going to have a decent game because he just looked fully into it. He was snapping into challenges. He was pressing Diaby out. So whenever Diaby dropped to to receive the ball, he couldn't turn because Gomez was right in behind him, made a couple of really good interceptions. All things considered, I thought the first 20 minutes couldn't have gone any better. And then obviously when Carlos goes off, it, it does, it gives us another little boost there because first of all, it, it eliminates one of their big set piece threats. And one of the concerns I had with us today was that we might be a little bit suspect against the set piece without Virgil and Ibu. But once he goes off, that's one of their big goal threats from, from corners and for, you know, threats from corners and set pieces gone. So it couldn't really have gone a whole lot better for us. Yeah, they did have that feel. Everything about this game had that feel right from the start. Um, Harry, I'm going to go all the way through to the end of the second half with you because we have a few talking points that we're going to come up in the second half and I want to leave a bit of time for those and not go overly long here. Um, obviously we go two up on 21 minutes. It's an own goal. Um, earlier on, I was giving Darwin credit for it. It's a gorgeous Trent ball over the top to Mo. Uh, he hooks it in and Darwin batters the base of the post. He must be cursing his luck, but the ball does bounce back and Cash, who's running back towards goal, puts through his own net from the rebound. Um, we're two up. But just to look at some of the other details, because to be fair to Villa, they did tr- have a go at getting back into the game. Uh, and at 2-0, you were still a little, there was still a little bit of nervousness. nervousness. We really should have finished the game on 26 minutes. Um, just before that, Kamara had picked up a yellow for a foul on Luis Diaz. But on 26 minutes, there's a Trent free kick that comes in. And Joel should head home at the back post it's a bad miss after that McGinn chance then on 36 Luca Dean puts in a dangerous cross Bailey and Watkins I don't know how they manage it but they get in each other's way again an excellent opportunity to go 2-1 and leave a very different feel on the game at that point another opportunity for the Reds on 38 Darwin somehow hits the bar from a narrow angle to be fair to the kid it's a great effort um on his part he must be cursing his luck 41 minutes Trent has a long ranger which he drags low and wide across the face of goal after a lovely flowing move and Dominic uh, lays the ball off to him 42 minutes the same player loses the ball and the Abbey tries a curler which goes narrowly wide so they're very much still kind of in it 
great defensive work by Gomez, I thought, versus Diaby on the 45-minute mark. Four minutes were added, and in those four minutes, there was an attempt to get Mo in, but the ball was kind of smothered at his feet. Now, the goal, obviously, which kicks this off to put us 2-0, um, is a lovely settler, Harry. But in this period of the game, we look back on it now, and we think it was not quite boring, but comfortable, mm. But in this period of the game, there was nothing comfortable about it. This period of the game, Aston Villa did carry a threat. And in this period of the game, they did actually carve out opportunities, which they should have done better with. Now, granted, we did too. And granted, we should have gone 3-0 and game over. But it was a little bit in the balance there. And I think, you know, overall, that's the period where they were most dangerous. Yeah, I think that's the bit, that's the period of the game where sort of they showed their quality the most. I mean, and I think actually of all the chances that you were listing there, the, the one on 38 minutes, I think the one where Bailey gets in the way, I think Bailey and Watkins getting, getting each other's way, that's the chance that, I mean, come on, ordinarily someone takes that and it's, um, it's 2-1 and it's, uh, suddenly a much more competitive game and then they get their confidence back as well and a little bit of belief because when you score so early uh you know it's a it's a, it's a real sickness for a team whatever sort of game plan they've come into it with uh is thrown out of the out of the window um and, and of course that second goal that you mentioned as well with um uh with 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 nunez uh, yeah rifles it off the post um uh, I mean, i'm gonna I think, I think i claimed that he meant in terms of sort of that sort of sickening way to sort of allow a, an ungoal from Cash, clearly, yeah, you, you would have liked him to see him finish that, but he's, he's causing all sorts of problems. I mean that that uh, that that line of Villas, I mean, he's, he's he's so so quick, and I think we saw that on uh, a number of occasions today. Actually, him chasing lost causes uh, and actually turning them into uh, chances for us, something that we've sort of previously associated with Mane in the past. We've always associated with the uh, with Mo as well. And actually, there was that opportunity. I think it was the second uh, um, time when Nunez uh, had his chance off the bar. That one really impressed me, to be honest, because he gets fouled, I think, um, just around the halfway line. Uh, someone clips it over for Mo. Mo realizes he's going to be offside. So Nunez absolutely sprints to get onto the ball first so it can actually be a chance for us. Uh, and then there's a nice little combination. And, and, and of course, he, he, he tries to finish and he's unlucky not to, to execute it. So all really positive stuff. I mean, I'm sure people, people could easily come out of this game and go, yeah, there he goes again. And the, the commentary I was listening to actually was, was quite negative to be honest around uh oh yeah we thought you know we thought he turned a corner last week with the finishing that Jim uh, Beglin? look he's back to his he's back to his old yeah. ways I think it may have been yeah yeah and he uh, said oh n- now he's, he's just realized that he's back to being normal yeah. Yeah, I turned I turned it off. Up. I went and watched a, a Spanish speaking Spanish language stream after that <laughs> because that was just outrageous that was an outrageously dickheadish comment at that point in the game Darwin has it's causing trouble, yeah. Has caused them absolute panic. He won the corner for the first goal and he made the second goal. Like, if you're a dickhead who doesn't watch football or actually doesn't understand it at all, you might look at Darwin's performance today and go, huh, he didn't score and he, he missed some big chances. Yeah. Well, actually, he's directly responsible for two goals and won us the corner for the other one. So, all things considered, and he hit the crossbar, all things considered, mm. it's a really good all-round performance from the guy. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it was, it was it was weird, actually, towards the end of the game, they started to become a little bit more sheepish about it, actually, and sort of, I think they sort of realised that he'd had a had a positive impact. And, and the reception he was getting from Anfield as well, I think it's like, 
seem to sort of rein them in a little bit but in the fact that yeah you, you don't always have to <laughs> you always have to be a ruthless finisher to have a real impact on the game and I think he he did that today but yeah and I, I think you're right Trev that was the period of the game where I think Villa showed the most threat and I think if, if they'd grabbed a goal during that period yeah it becomes a much more competitive game again you imagine Dave the second half starts um in an interesting fashion, with Mo Salah having an effort over the top after a great approach run and pullback um, to Luis Diaz by Dominic Sabozlai. Um At that point, my stream crapped out. That's about 46 minutes. I lost about six minutes of the game. Um, I think something happened in there with a, tra- with a, a, a Darwin opportunity, according to Jimbo Beglin, who, who was talking about it when I came back. We saw some great work to win a corner um, uh, by Trent on the 53rd minute. And from that corner, we actually go 3-0 up. And the lad we've just been talking about, Darwin Nunes, influential and absolutely central to this goal as well. And there is a question that came in there earlier on um, in the stream on the, the live chat Um from Sandeep, uh, which touches on a, on a topic that Harry and I were talking about just before you joined us, um, before the mics went live. So I'm going to bring that up as well here, if that's okay with you. Um, it is a goal for Mo Salah. Um, it's a Darwin flick on from Robbo's in swinging corner, uh, and Mo's at the back post to finish, uh, quite, um, simply. Um, what a lot of people noted was the subdued nature of his celebration. Mo's always smiling. He didn't seem to be doing a whole lot of smiling. He looked quite grim about it all. And of course, um, people wanted to read into that um, for uh, malicious reasons if they're not Liverpool fans and for reasons based around angst if they're like me and they are Liverpool fans. I was looking at that and going, uh, you know, what's that about? And the reason we're asking it, and I just want to bring this topic up now, um, is because obviously it's still uh, an existential threat despite all the statements, uh, because we still don't know what um, grenade could be tossed in by way of financial remuneration um, packages and offers to the club. We can take everything everybody says at face value, and that's absolutely fine. But it's also possibly a little bit daft to do that because we don't know what craziness they might come back with. And we also don't know that they won't come back again January time and start throwing around their weight. Um, and it, it crossed my mind, and I think you're of, of, of a mind with me on this. It crossed my mind that Mo Salah will continue to Mo Salah for Liverpool as long as, as long as he is employed by the club, but that he might genuinely, because of being the figure that he is in the Arab world and the Arab culture, he might genuinely really want this. And I think that might be doing a little bit of a job in his head and fair play to him for uh, being as professional as he was today, if that is the case. Yeah, I think he wants to go. I, I think it's different for Mo than it is for any of these other players that have had the offers to go to Saudi because, you know, he is the biggest star in the Muslim world. He's probably the most high-profile Muslim athlete in the world. He's a very, very special person. And I think he's also a guy who, we said, look, there's no point in denying it. Mo has a big ego. Now, Mo deserves to have a big ego because Mo is great, but he has a big ego. And if they've said to him, look, come over here, we're going to pay you $150 million a year, why wouldn't he want to go and be the face of that league, be the face of what is 
a rapidly growing league for the next four to five years. Mo has no connection to England. He's got no connection to the city of Liverpool other than the fact that he's lived here for the last six years. But he has a connection to Saudi Arabia, as all Muslims do. So it wouldn't surprise me if he wanted to go and if his head had been turned by the money, because frankly, whose head wouldn't be turned by the chance to go and earn 600 million over a couple of years, over whatever, three or four years. But what we know about Mo is he's also the ultimate professional. And as long as we say no, he's not going to kick up a fuss. That's not in his nature. It's not in his makeup. His agent might make some noise, but at the end of the day, that's just his agent. The agent doesn't go out and play the game. So while Mo is employed by the club, and while Mo wants to be the best player possible, Mo will continue to perform at a high level. As far as not celebrating the goal, I'm fairly certain if we go back and look at similar Mo tap-ins, he doesn't really celebrate them all that much. Unless it's like a, a match winner or whatever. But we've also seen him score the third goal in many 3-0 Liverpool wins and not really celebrate out of respect for the opposition not to rub it in their face because that's kind of who he is as well. So I'm not, I'm not hugely put off by, you know, the fact that he didn't celebrate. I don't think it's a major issue. I do believe he wants to go and I do think he will go next summer. But yeah, January is, January is concerning. Like I, I don't know what way their transfer window works, whether they have a January window, but like if they come and launch 250 million at us in January, there will come a point where it does have to be really strongly considered because the bottom line of it is he is 31 he's got less than two years left in his contract and what's important is the long-term viability of Liverpool Football Club it's not about this season it's about the next however many years so there is there is probably a point where Liverpool would have to just go you know what it's going to suck for six months until we can get to the window or get the players in that we want and as I said before, there's no way to directly replace Mo. If you try and replace Mo, you will fail. We've been guilty of trying to replace a great player with one other player in the past. Lots of other clubs have as well. You don't try and replace Mo. You try and recreate him and you try and strengthen the teams in other ways. And that's something we have done successfully in the past. When Kenny left, we, what oh, was sorry, when Keegan left, we bought Kenny. We bought Sunes. We bought Hansen. When Rush left, we got Aldridge. We got uh, Beardsley, we got Barnes, we got Houghton, and we improved the team overall. Now, we knew those situations were coming up, so we were able to act in advance. We know this situation is coming up, and it may well be that at some point in the next couple of months, there is a sit-down between Mike Gordon and someone from the PIF, and an agreement is made that, look, he can go to you next summer. $150 million, everybody's happy. It's incredible money for us. It's a bargain for you because of what you'll get out of the fact that you've just signed Mohamed Salah. And it allows us then plenty of time to plan and make approaches and potentially line up deals so that if Salah leaves July 1st, 2024, on July 2nd, 2024, we're announcing two or even three 
new signings. I think that's the way to think of it. I saw you use that phrase. Um, I thought it was a good one. You, you replace him in the aggregate. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's yeah, the, way, the way to look at it. If you think yeah. about it, like his goals can be replicated by playing Darwin through the middle as opposed to playing Bobby or Gakbo through the middle. Because if you build the team around Darwin, he will get you the goals. So the other side of Mo is the creativity. And that's where you would look to bring in I don't know. Kavicic Kvalachgeli is the name that I that I keep putting out there. He's the one I would want us to sign. He's Same. a left winger. Same. You shift yeah. Diaz to the right. You play him on the left. You play Darwin through the middle. And in my opinion, they will produce the same number of goals and assists combined as the Mo Bobby Mane trio mm. did. I think so. Now I could be wrong. I'm happy to be to be for that to be debated, but. There's other ways you could do it. You know, if you were going to move to a different shape, you could play Darwin as the nine. You could play Dominic as more of a 10 and get more goals out of him. And maybe you look to bring in a Michael Elise to play on the right wing with Kvalachkelia on the left wing. And Diaz becomes a, you know, a rotation player that can play kind of anywhere you need him. And then you're, again, you're recreating what Mo offered you in the aggregate, which again is something we have done in the past. And been very successful doing it. When we sold Kevin Keegan, now I wasn't alive, but my father's told me this. When we sold Kevin Keegan, it was seen as doomsday. When we sold Ian Rush, it was doomsday. But we actually improved the, the next season on what we'd been. So it can be done. And it has been done in modern football. Look at Napoli last season. They lose Mertens. They lose Insigne. They lose Koulibaly. Three pillars of their team. They bring in the likes of Kavicha and Kim, and they go and win the league. I think the point then, Dave, is 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 is, is probably more around whether or not we trust the the current system around recruitment, right? The and, current and, system, no, which is why no. I would have been against selling them. But it might be changed. left in this window. But by next summer, mm. we will have a new structure in place. We will have should, a new structure in place. Should just say, obviously, we're going to put, talk glowingly about Soberslein and had that already. Then he's uh, just just seeing his own interview after the game as well. He always seems to speak quite um quite frankly. Maybe it's like local jerk, like a um some, some local journalist or like in his native tongue every now and then. But he's he said uh, he was directly asked on Salah, and I'm not saying he has the inside track, but he, he he said he want he wants to stay, he wants to be here, he wants to be with us, and he stayed. We're really happy. We need some players like him in the team, uh, and we'll, you know, we're happy for the rest of the season. Um, I'm not saying Slobber Slice is agent or anything. I also agree. I think he, you know, his head probably has been turned by the, by the opportunity, but I also think that similar to what Dave was saying, Chad, that I think he's, he's the sort of guy who's the sort of professional that will head down and do the work for, for as long as he needs to. Um, he will, I think you'll be aware a little bit about his legacy as well. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's on the top of all those record lists for Liverpool for a reason. Um, and he pr- probably wants to go out in a good way. And I think that's, that's achievable for him as well. And I, I, I mean, just one point to, to mention on the guy, but I've seen that stat flutter around during the game, wasn't it? Mo Salah is the first player to score or assist in 10 consecutive appearances in the Premier League. Since Mo Salah between August and December 2021. <laughs> so I mean, like, this is the guy, and he's been doing this for years. He's been producing for years. So I've seen a lot of suggestions that he's on, he's on the decline. Of course, he's getting older. Of course, we have to think about the long-term health of the club. But I mean, this, this guy is, uh, is is special, and for as long as he stays, he, he'll continue to be be that guy. 
That Premier Listen, League. Just say to him, look, Mo, you can go next season. Go mm. and fucking smash it this season and leave on, leave on a high. But the European go Cup. Absolutely. Yeah, make your last right? act for this club winning the Europa League. And if you want to play in the Europa League, we don't really want you to, but if you want to, you can play and you can get a hat-trick in every game. And, and maybe then Billy Little becomes a viable person from the past and he can end up fourth all-time. But, like, <laughs> it's worth thinking about. Mo Salah is fifth all-time on our goal-scoring records. He's got four more goals than Robbie Fowler in 62 less games. Robbie Fowler was a was a nine like he was an out and out number nine. He wasn't a wasn't a wide player. Like Mo, you look at where he is and the number of goals he's gotten in the games he's gotten them in. He is by the numbers the best forward player the club has ever had in terms of goals per game. We have never had anybody. We we've never had anybody better than him. And open it up as well across the Premier League. He is by far. Yeah. Still, beyond any question that the most underrated player that has ever oh. been in the league. Um, he is a better whole- player in the Premier League than Cristiano Ronaldo ever was. Ever. He, I, I know I'm, he won a Ballon d'Or. I don't care. Mo would have won one as well if it wasn't for the fact that he got robbed. Mo is the best. Mo is the second best attacking player for, for in terms of body of work in Premier League history after Thierry Henry. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN Make sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I was just going to say, think it, think it through. The only person that possibly could go past them in terms of, of legacies is Henri, and that says a lot. So that league is going to miss Mo Salah if and when he does leave, and um, uh, they'll have nobody to underrate in the same way. Uh, the, the rest of the match is an interesting thing, uh, only because it did actually then at that point get into the comfort zone for us. Villa's heart just went on that third goal. There was a McGinn header at Allison on 61 minutes. There was a little bit of sloppiness from Joel, which led to a corner, but Ali was able to gather it. We made wholesale changes then, bringing on Harvey and Jota and Cody. Um, they bring on Zaniolo. Um, and on the 70th minute, having just taken the ball from the right back position, driven infield towards midfield, to, towards the centre circle, and then straight on down the field, trying to carry the, hall, the ball all the way to the edge of the D and hit a good, a decent effort over the top. And it was a real reminder of 
what a Rolls Royce of a footballer this kid is wearing the captain's armband this afternoon. Uh, and, you know, showing the kind of composure and level headedness that a lot of us were hoping that he could do and were wondering if he would do. Um, and then he has to go off because he's, he, he's done something. I don't know whether it's in the execution of that shot or on that run or something, but he didn't look too good going off. And I'm wondering between the three of you, including Guy, has anyone seen anything or heard anything that's a comment on how he is? Because I'll tell you what, we can't afford to lose Trent at the moment for any length of time. I, I saw someone suggest it was a hamstring. Shit. Um, my my guess, my, not my guess. This is my conspiracy hope is that he's due to go away with England tomorrow, and he's decided he can't be arsed going to Gareth <laughs> Southgate talk absolute bobbins to him for a week and a half. So he's just said, "Fuck that! I'll stick around here instead, and I'll, I'll you know help I'll help Gravenberch get settled in." Yeah, I saw the conversation between him and Klopp. Um, oh, there we go. Quote from Harry there from Kloppo. Just a hamstring. He says it's not that serious. Well, hopes, hopefully it's a tweak. I just, he's not a guy we can afford to lose for any length of time. And hopefully, as you say, Dave, the, the upshot will be he won't travel with England and get his scan and get his rehab in. Um, let me just go through the rest of this. And then what I'm going to do is go to both of you for your wrap up thoughts and any comments you have on what happened towards the end of the game. We'll fold both of those things in. So I'll come to you first, Harry. Um, when I've finished, uh, you can give me your, your thoughts on anything that happened between the end of the game and then your overall wrap up and we'll finish with Dave uh, finish out the show that way um, we got as far as the 70th minute where uh, Kwanzaa comes on for what you've already mentioned Dave was a very very calm assured performance for 20 minutes uh, albeit in different circumstances uh, 71 minutes there was a ball uh, that came to Sabozlai from a corner and he drove it again with his left foot again sort of in the same direction but wide across the face of goal um, more subs coming on my stream craps out again Mo was a half volley narrowly over the top uh, soon after that it was a, a corner from um uh, a camera which said it came from Harvey uh, Elliott drove goal words and his effort was deflected wide and my like I say my coverage was just in and out patchy at that stage two Villa attempts I could see driven wide of the near left hand post uh, within a minute of each other so they didn't just totally roll over a uh, decent move by them actually on the 83rd minute which cut us pretty wide open but there was nobody in the end of the ball that came into the box uh, we bring on Endo for Mac on the 80 sixth minute like I said then um, the cop are having a laugh at Luca Dean and his Everton heritage with uh, blue and white chant and there is a chance when Robbo plays the ball into Cody on in injury time and his effort a kind of a, an attempt to sort of do a, a looping shot was saved comfortably enough um, so we basically played the game out and tried to fashion a couple of chances but the game was at a slow pace at that point Harry and um, we didn't really have our tails up in the way that we uh, would if we were chasing a game or if the result was in doubt. So I found this quite comforting, the way we managed the game out. Like I said, granted, they had a couple of opportunities, Villa, to get in, but it never felt completely threatening. And it did feel as if we had enough 
about us and enough defensively about us to deal with whatever they might throw at us. Um, I was really just hoping against hope that um, the, the, the clean sheet would stay intact for Ali's sake as much as anything else. So in terms of what's left of the game, if there's anything you want to mention there in the, what I've just covered off or something I might have missed when my stream went, crapped out. Uh, and then give us your final thoughts and anything you have for people to listen to during the week. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a fairly uh, controlled, comfortable end to the game, as you're saying. I think uh, obviously when uh, when Duran came on as well for for Watkins, he seemed to be intent on obviously just taking these long range, long range efforts and really annoying Zaniola, um, who was, was usually making a run through the middle and, and just just got completely ignored as well. I think there was one move in particular which I think was really well put together, but um, they couldn't quite finish it off. So, yeah, I think you, you started seeing the way in which uh, Ali was looking at his defenders, and uh, I think they were they were the impression that he, he did not want that clean sheet to be uh, um, to be played with. So, yeah, was delighted that we managed to get that in the end. I think that you know, it's obviously a huge boost to to confidence and something that we've not had for for a while. We've been particularly leaky on occasion. So, yeah, it was good to. Good to see us see the game out in that fashion. I, I do have to say, I was, uh, part of me was a little bit annoyed uh, by some of these cameos that we saw. I mean, like Jota, um, I mean, <laughs> came on and had um, probably sort of like the um, the the worst version of 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 a Bobby cameo. Was we, was that an ode to Bobby? Was that an ode? It was an ode to the bad version of Bobby. For a week. You know, you just have to have him some stale curry chips, and now he's wandering on, not really sure what's going on. It wasn't great at all, and I mean, like, this is the first time in years I've, I've been I've been persuaded to get back involved in in fantasy uh, in the, in the fantasy stuff. And oh, I mean, no. you're watching it, and it means Mo's got at least a couple goals there if Jota <laughs> Jota just does simple things. Uh, but anyway, it's, yeah, it's I mean that's the completely beside the point. All all that matters is it's a comfortable win, uh, handled professionally. Uh, even when we had to make the defensive changes and Quanta comes on and, and Gomez is out to right back, he's even more, you know, he's, he's just as impressive. Um, and so really the only negative on the entire day, I think, is is Trent like, going off and hopefully it's not too serious, as we're all saying. But yeah, I mean, just final thoughts, I suppose, looking across the team. Really encouraging, I thought, from, from Gomez, of course, as we've spoken about. Robbo, much, much better today. I mean, in midfield, I mean, like, I, I really hope that Macazda has, um, like, uh, more opportunities to go forward and show what he's got. But, I mean, the, the, the way in which he can have these understated games where he's doing a lot of important work, uh, it was lovely to see. Love to see Jones back after that layoff. Um, and actually sort of like, like, again, uh, very, very assured, like, nothing too flashy, but doing what we want him to do. And uh, Sobachlai as well continues to sort of build out this, um, this law around himself and uh yeah it's just like, nice to see somebody with a number eight on the back of the shirt of course you know it's sort of lashing a shot like that from 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 distance it's something you hope we see a lot more of this season um and he, he looks like he's got the he's got the the sense about him that he thinks he's better than everybody on that pitch in, in the way in which we've seen some other players have that confidence in the past and uh i'm looking forward to seeing him uh establish himself on some other big games this this season as well, Nunez's confidence will be boosted. You imagine Salah, um, I mean, smile or no smile, gets another goal, another record of some sort, and uh, yeah, he's uh, hopefully here for as long as possible to to break a few more with us. So yeah, really positive. I thought actually the manager did well today as well, which is something we've been obviously keen to see like um, 
more of a sort of switched on approach, I suppose, this season from from Klopp with his, with his tactics. And you know, given what happened last time Emery came to Anfield, I was I was quite happy that this was a this was the way in which it played out. To be honest, Trev. So yeah, little little break now. Hopefully, Trent can use that to recover from whatever he's uh, he's dealing with. And then yeah, they'll be probably apart from myself ahead of that Wolves game um, where. I'm sure they'll do well. Touch wood, but they'll show once again how they're great between both boxes. <laughs> yeah, like you say, rivalry recon from Harry will be coming up for Wolves, but that is 13 mm. days away the game, and so I guess the show is there, is, is another 10 or 12. There may, be, there may be one more thing coming up. Actually, where I'm, I'm, I'm due to actually speak to somebody about Gravenberg, um, who's a of an Ajax expert. So there may be another little pod coming out um, around our, our latest arrival. Lovely. Look forward to hearing that from Is you. Harry doing work during the international breaks. <laughs> there will be out for signings. For signings to come. <laughs> I, I think that he only turns up when he knows that it's going to get ratings. You know, he's not out there grinding <laughs> away, Trav, like me and you are. <laughs> huh? It shows up when it's when it's time for the star. I'm going to cover the game against Lask. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy that one, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, we still haven't heard anything definitive from you, young Hendrick, on whether you're taking place, taking part in this are you, year. Are you doing the Europa League this year? I'm all in, brother. Oh, well, then I fucking have to do it, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> there was, I think, it'd be a Guy Drinkle-led production. <laughs> Seth and yourself could just have it off. But you're, if, you're, if you're doing it, I have no choice. I can't exactly turn around and say no. <laughs> Listen, you can do whatever you like, fella. Uh, you, you've earned the right to say no, I think. Uh, I, I want to get your final thoughts here as well um, in terms of wrap-up. Uh, Harry's covered off quite a lot there, so I mean, it's, got, it's, it's probably going to be a lot of crossover. But do uh, give us your final take on today and lead us out of it into some of the content you'll be doing in the 13 days between now and the next Raw after Wolves, because we'll surely um, be on a couple of... of uh, more sort of uh, fun pods together, possibly get round to our Al Pacino um, yeah. and buzzed and a few other bits. But do finish up with your final thoughts. Yeah, um, I, I thought we managed the game and saw it out really well today. You know, the thing with us is that if we concede a goal, we tend to get very, very wobbly. And you highlighted earlier Villa missing a chance to get back into it at 2-1. And I think if they had, it could have gotten away from us and maybe it ends up 2-2 or they win 3-2. But the fact that we were able to just ride out those couple of moments that they had, get ourselves back in control and continue to play our football was very, very promising. I thought it was the most mature, grown-up performance we've seen out of this group of players this season. Um, I think we've highlighted all the players that deserve deserve the highlighting. Um, I was hoping someone would bring up Jota's cameo so I wouldn't have to because Jesus wept, it was bad. But it, look, it is what it is. You, you can't have everything in life. Um, we should take a moment to just appreciate Ali's new haircut and, and beard look. Um, the, the man just can do whatever he wants. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter today say it's unfair that Dominic is as good as he is at football and looks the way he looks. I think Dominic and Ali are like the two you'd put on that same pedestal. They're just unbelievable and they're incredibly handsome bastards. So, you know, fair play to them. Um, I was just, I was, you know, 
overall, the, the person I'm most happy with today is Trent. Because this season, he has looked like he couldn't give a shit for for large swaths of all three games. Like, he just couldn't care. And today, he just looked fully committed. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I think he, he deserved a goal. It's a shame that that driving run didn't end in the ball, just nestling in the top corner, because it, he deserved it for his performance today. And I think the more times we get that Trent, the higher the ceiling is of this team. Like, we have undeniably great players in this team. In Salah, in Trent, in Virgil, in Ibu, in Ali, in Dominic. And as long as those lads can perform, and uh, sorry, and Alexis as well, as long as those lads can perform consistently at a high level, and the others can perform at a good level, and we're not going into battle with liabilities, I think this team can make a lot of noise this season. And if we can get to January, having put together a really good first half of the season in the league, like we talked about earlier, and we can go and strengthen then, and maybe then we add that ball-winning midfielder, maybe the the market on midfielders goes back to what it should be, and you're not talking about you know 105 million for a Declan Rice or 111 for Caicedo and 75 or 80 for Decore. If you're talking more realistic prices, maybe we go again then. We get the right player in, and you you just never know. You just never know when you've got the best centre back the league has ever seen, the best goalkeeper the league has ever seen, the best right back the league has ever seen. And I think the second best attacking player the league has ever seen. You're always, always, always going to have a chance. That's just how it is. City are unbelievable. But no one's won four league titles in a row in a very fucking long time. And there's a reason for that. It's incredibly hard to maintain those standards year after year after year. And last season, when the pressure got to Arsenal, they fell apart because they hadn't been there before. If we got to the last 10 games with the type of lead Arsenal had last season, I don't think we'd bottle it. I don't think we would struggle because our lads have been there, done it, won it, and printed the shirts. So if we can manage ourselves through till January, and get ourselves in a strong position in the league. And even if we come up short, so be it. But th- there's enough talent in this team to make it happen. There really, really is. And I'm so impressed by Alexis. There was there was a moment today where Diaby picked the ball up, turned, and he drove. And Alexis just came across and took the ball off him. Just real simple, like real understated way of going about his business. Makes the right decision. Always connects everything together. He's the type of player that raises the floor of the ceiling. We'll never be a bad team once he's in the team. It was the same when City had Gundogan playing. There was no chance they were ever going to be bad when Gundogan was there. He's too smart. He makes too many good decisions. Does all the right things and a lot of it goes unappreciated. With a floor raiser like him in midfield and the amount of ceiling raiser players that we have, like Verge, like Trent, like 
uh, Mo and like Dominic. We do have potential to make a lot of noise this year. I feel that as well. I'm very much looking forward to that possibility, potentially uh, probability. And with that in mind, we will be trying our best to keep content coming at you on the channel. So, Dave, you'll no doubt be doing your bit as ever, uh, the hard graft on the daily shows. Let yes. people know what, what they can uh, look forward to and expect just before we get out of here. Yeah, so I'll have my two dailies every day. Uh, myself and Carl are going to do a bunch of scouts during the international break as well, just reviewing the transfer window and and different things. Um, I'm hoping that we can do uh, a buzzed. We might even we might even find time for an on the books if uh, if schedules permit. And then um, yeah, I suppose that I may I may break the news that I'm working Thursday nights. <laughs> Play, definitely, play I'm definitely not getting my tractor now. I'm definitely <laughs> not getting the tractor now. That's going to be off the table. But uh, look, it, it, you know, it, it it could be worse. It could be worse. It may be worse. You may be sleeping with Molly outside. Um, that's, that's that's what may be happening here. Uh, right, we will wrap it up at that stage with the Reds on a 15-game unbeaten run in the division, the longest of anyone in the division. That's a decent direction of travel. I think we can all agree. It's been an encouraging beginning to this season. Now we take our little break. Raw will be back in 13 days for that game uh, against Wolves, and uh, we'll have our usual cast of characters to keep you entertained on that one. Until then, enjoy the decent start and the exciting new footballers being put in front of you. And my thanks to Dave Hendrick, to Harry Sethi, and to producer Guy Drinkle. I'm Trev Downey. This is Raw. Good luck. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.